If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this July 23rd, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show, where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. And uh, after taking a week off, boy, is there a lot to talk about. In fact, there's so much to talk about. We're going to be doing a special third hour of the podcast. This has the potential to be the best podcast in the history of the World According to Zig podcast for a couple of reasons. Number one, hour number three will be the first time I've ever told publicly the full, unedited version of the John Ziegler, O.J. Simpson story and my role as to how O.J. ended up in prison. The reason why we're doing it this week is because it was announced this week that he will soon be getting out of prison after his parole hearing this week. So that's hour number three. But even that... I believe, is likely to be taught by hour number two. Because in hour number two, we are joined by mega conservative talk show host celebrity Glenn Beck. We've had some really good guests on the podcast. You could argue that uh, it depends on the demographic, that uh, Franco Harris might be more famous than Glenn Beck. He certainly was at one point. Uh, and we've had Franco on the air on the show. We've had a bunch of other really great guests. But... In my opinion, the interview that we just did, uh, and we're taping this, by the way, on a Saturday as opposed to normally on a Sunday to accommodate Glenn and, and his religious uh, beliefs, which was we were perfectly happy to do so. Uh, it's the best interview I maybe have ever done in my life, and I've done some pretty high-profile interviews, and it's definitely the best interview I've heard with Glenn Beck or any celebrity of that level. And I'm not, I'm not over, overhyping this, in my opinion. It's that good... It's that important. Uh, you will not be able to turn it off. So that's hour number two. So what about hour number one? Well, let's review uh, some of the news that has occurred over the last two weeks. I guess there, are, there are the two major stories were stories we were talking about two weeks ago. The death of the effort to try to overturn Obamacare, which, by the way, I've been basically predicting for months was not going to happen using the metaphor of a Rubik's cube without all of the pieces. And therefore you can't put it all together, despite what president Trump has said that no one knew how complicated the healthcare is. Well, everybody knew how, how complicated healthcare is and it's just not doable. 
And then obviously the second big story has been the developments with regard to the Trump-Russia investigation. And two weeks ago, you may recall that I told you that the story at that time, which was that Don Jr. had only met with one female Russian lawyer and they talked about adoptions and it didn't go anywhere. I told you that was bullcrap. I told you that story was bullcrap. Even I did not anticipate the story falling apart as quickly and as dramatically as it did. Because boy, did it ever. It turned out to be a bald-faced, blatant lie. Not just one-time lie. This was a lie over numerous situations over a very long period of time. You may recall, you may know that Don Jr., was first asked about this, to my knowledge, back at the Republican convention of last year, not specifically the meeting, but the topic in general, and totally denied any contact whatsoever. Then it was about adoptions. Then slowly but surely we started to learn, oh yeah, by the way, uh, he was told it was about trying to have uh, the Russian government help the Trump campaign beat Hillary Clinton because they had dirt on her. Then we find out who else is in the meeting, and it turns out that these are people who have had prior associations with Donald Trump in particular, as well as the Russian government, very tied in people, and the lie after lie after lie. Now, (laughs) I realize the truth doesn't matter anymore. I realize that lies are accepted now. In fact, Sometimes they're preferred. That's how pathetic we've become as a society. Lying is now just accepted, often preferred. And I know that the Trump fans, they don't care. They think the lying is good because they think the lying is all about the fight to beat Hillary. And that this is the ends justify the means because they, they were just going to use everything they could to beat the big, bad, evil witch. And I, I just don't buy that. I mean, I, first of all, I don't even, that's not even what I think their real motivations were. This was, I think this was mostly about, at the time, them creating contacts with the Russian government for when they lost. Because they didn't think they were going to win. And Trump has said numerous times that he's been, had been trying for years to do business in Russia there have been some indications he had some success. Don Jr. made some statements that indicated that money from Russia was flowing in. But that's my perception right now of what the the primary motivation from the Trump perspective was. Now, did they want uh, dirt on Hillary? Sure. But here's the big thing with the lies. And, I, and I've not had any Trumpster be able to answer this question for me on Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And boy, do they go after me hard. Why all the lying? Why all the lying? If there's nothing going wrong here, if there's there's nothing nefarious happening, why are you lying about it? Why are you lying about it blatantly? Why are you lying about it in ways that can be easily disproven and have now been easily disproven, although the Trumpsters are so dumb. They're so cult-like. A a poll came out this week indicating that a huge percentage of Trumpsters don't even believe that Don Jr. had a meeting with Russian-affiliated officials, even though he's admitted to it. (laughs) 
He's revealed his own emails eight minutes before the New York Times was going to reveal them, which is another whole thing. They're, they're, they're trying to claim transparency. There's been no transparency here. How in the world do you get credit for transparency? One, when the New York Times is about to unload the very same emails. And two, when you've been lying about it for over a year. And speaking of lies, it's not just Don Jr.'s lies. We also know, we've already knew, that the National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, lied. That's why he got fired. And, you know, I think my record on this whole thing, I know I've taken an enormous amount of criticism, even from friends, about my stance on this Trump-Russia story, which I still don't know whether it was quote-unquote collusion or not. I'm, I'm certainly inching towards that direction. It's hard not to when you look at the facts. But I think I have been dead on. From the beginning, I told you months ago, Michael Flynn was bad news. This is before Trump ever took office. I said, Michael Flynn is the guy to watch. He is bad news. He's the first one to go. Why did he go? Because he got fired over lying about Russia. Was this a coincidence? No, this is a guy who had sat with Vladimir Putin at a Russian television event not long ago. So this is a guy who, for a number of reasons, I was very skeptical and cynical about. I turned out to be right about that. Don Jr., I've never trusted at all. And I never trusted what he said about the meeting. As I said two weeks ago, the adoption story is bullcrap. Turns out I was right about that. I've also told you I don't buy Jeff Sessions' story. The reason why I don't buy Jeff Sessions' story is because Jeff Sessions has been around Washington, D.C. for a long time as a U.S. senator. He's a smart guy. He's the attorney general. There is no freaking way, no freaking way, he not once but twice, including under oath, neglected just by accident to divulge meetings with key Russian officials. That's just not possible, especially when he wasn't even alone in those meetings. So when he testifies during his confirmation hearing, oh, no, I I never met with any uh, Russians. Well, there are other people in that room who absolutely would remember that. It's their job to remember that. They would go through the records and they go, the first thing they would do is they'd say, um, Senator, um, you made, we have a, you know, an oversight here. We need to correct this. Remember when you met with Kislyak in your office during the campaign? That didn't happen. Well, why didn't that happen? Well, I don't believe that they're that incompetent. I'm, I'm willing to willing to blame incompetence on almost anything. I don't believe that they're that incompetent, especially when it, it happens a second time. So I've told you, I'm, we talked with uh, Evan McMullen about this. If you want to go back to a prior podcast, I said, look at Jeff Sessions. You can't just say this is fake news. It doesn't make any sense why Jeff Sessions would do this. And then, of course, he recused himself from the Russian story the Russian investigation, which he should have done, although there's more information on that, which I'll get to momentarily. But then we learn just yesterday that guess what? Sessions blatantly lied. Unless, unless you believe in a unbelievable series of coincidences. Because here's what you would have to believe. Here, here's what we now know. We now, unless this is completely fake news for which there is no indication that it is, other than the president saying that it is, which, by the way, 
here's how you know something is not fake news when Donald Trump says it's fake news. I mean, Trump is not difficult to figure out. Whenever something is, is important about him, you can pretty much bet that the truth is the opposite of what he is saying. He knows that the best way to lie is to take the lie to the 11th degree, okay? That's, that's the key. You, you, when Trump is thinking about his lie, he doesn't lie at a one or a two level. Now, when he says fake news, these go to 11. That one goes to 11. He knows that you take the lie to 11 because that is when people will believe you. Oh, it can't be true because the president says it's fake news. <laughs> no, the president is saying it's fake news because it's true. And this has happened numerous times, and it's happened just in the last 24 hours with regard to Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions. We now know, unless you believe in this massive conspiracy, lied about the nature of his meetings. Not just that he had the meetings, but the nature of his meetings. And the reason why we know this is because we have intercepts of Russian intelligence. U.S. intelligence intercepted messages from Russia indicating that they had spoken to Sessions about the campaign during the campaign. Now, Here's what I mean by the massive conspiracy. That has to be real because at the time these intercepts happened, the Russians have no idea that eventually Sessions is going to lie under oath about it. They have no idea Trump's going to win. They have no idea Sessions is going to be attorney general. They have no idea about any of this. So there's absolutely no reason whatsoever for Russians to be lying in what they think is secret conversations. It's it, it doesn't make any damn sense. In fact, it's, it's just flat out ridiculous. It's a ridiculous. It's one of many ridiculous theories that you would have to believe in to believe that this is all big witch hunt or this is all fake news. It is not fake news. What is it? I don't know. I don't know yet. It is not fake news. It is not fake news when you have the national security advisor lying and getting fired over Russian contacts. Then you have the son of, of the President of the United States blatantly lying over an extended period of time and only being forced to tell the truth because the New York Times was ready to come out with it. And you got the Attorney General of the United States after having recused himself. He's already recused himself from the Russian investigation. He lied under oath again when he talked about the nature of the context. These are all things that if a Democratic administration, if an Obama administration, a Hillary administration had done, People would be setting themselves on fire on our side on a daily basis. Sean Hannity would go outside of Fox News Channel and he would set himself on fire on a daily basis as long as the ratings held out. I mean, it is the, you cannot parody the level of hypocrisy among the quote-unquote conservative now state-run media on the Russian issue. Again, I don't know what happened for sure. I have some theories. I have very strong suspicions, which I'm sure I'll get to in due time. But the idea that this is fake news is bullshit. All right. And if it was the shoe was on the other foot, we, our side, conservatives, would be going rightfully crazy. Crazy. Especially when you consider the fact that everything Trump has done, everything Trump has done is consistent with him being 
at least partially blackmailed or compromised by Vladimir Putin. Everything. And it's going to be fascinating to find out what happens this week because there's a, it was just announced today that a Russian sanctions bill is making its way through Congress with bipartisan support that will make it nearly impossible, if it passes, for the White House to later dilute the sanctions against Russia. Now, is Trump going to sign it? I think he's got. I think he has to sign it. I mean, if he were to not sign this, it would be effectively the same thing if Donald Trump had hired a skywriter to write across the White House, yes, I am blackmailed by Vladimir Putin, if he does not sign this. Now, if he signs it, it doesn't mean that he's not. It just means he had no freaking choice because it's so obvious. And by the way, folks, this would not be going through... Con- Use your brains for a second, folks. Those of you who think this is fake news or suspect it might be fake news or think that John Ziegler's jumping the gun because he hates Trump so much. I actually have been incredibly reserved on this story, in my opinion. But use your brains. If this story was fake, would Republicans in a Republican-controlled Congress be working with Democrats to make sure that this Russian sanction bill flies through nearly unanimously on the fast track? No, they would not be doing that. They would be protecting the president because the president has made it clear he doesn't want to sign. He wants no part of this. Gee, I wonder why. Because in a rational world, by the way, if you use your brain again, Trump should be thirsting for a Russian sanction bill. Anything to prove that he's not a pawn to Vladimir Putin, which, by the way, there was more evidence that he is this this week when we suddenly announced, oh, by the way, yeah, we're no longer backing the um, the Syrian rebels, which is what Putin wanted us to stop doing. And oh, by the way, there was a second meeting that the White House didn't disclose between Trump and Vladimir Putin. And oh, by the way, Russia's saying there might have been other meetings between Putin and Trump. Now, I don't trust the Russians, but it's weird that they would say that. Why, why is there no transparency? Again, by the way, when Trump claims transparency, that means we're not being transparent. It's very easy. It's, it's, just, it's very easy to interpret Donald Trump's lies. Just, just take what he says, if it, and if it sounds like a lie, just reverse it. And you know then what the truth is almost 100% of the time. That's the way he works. That's his M.O. It's worked very, very well for him in his life because lying is effective. If you're, if you're, if you're, especially if you're a celebrity and you're perceived as being super rich and you're perceived as being powerful, people want to be lied to. They love lies. It can be a very effective way of living, especially when you have no conscience and you're basically a sociopath, which is what Trump appears to be. So we have a situation where Trump, to my way of looking at things, has done nothing inconsistent with being blackmailed. Is he actually being blackmailed? I don't know. But that, to me, is the major concern. I'm interested in Russian collusion because I think it's a horrendous precedent and we need to find the truth and we need to figure out what the hell happened. But that's not, to me, I'm worried more about, okay, what are the practical implications of this? The practical implications of this theoretically are we have a president of the United States 
who is compromised by an adversarial superpower or near superpower run by a Bond villain in Vladimir Putin. This is not complicated, folks. <laughs> three, three, four years ago, even two years ago, conservatives would have looked at that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously, duh. Now, at least half of our minds are polluted. The, the Trump virus is, has debilitated the thinking process of massive numbers of people who call themselves conservatives. The polling on Putin and Russia has gone through the roof on the Republican side, which is just insane making. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So back to the recusal by Jeff Sessions, because something else happened this week with regard to that and Donald Trump, which I think was key and not that many people noticed it, although a few did. And I did an interview, interestingly, with Glenn Beck's network, The Blaze, with the, on the Pat and Stu show, which I believe you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Media, I did a story on it, where I talk, one, about how obvious it is that Trump is lying about not knowing about the Don Jr. Mo- uh, meeting with Russians, the one with Manafort and Kushner. It's obvious, okay? I, I wrote a whole column about that for Mediate. It was exceedingly popular, which is unusual for me. Usually whenever I write something that's very popular, I think, ooh, that might have sucked. Because if it's popular, that might, must mean it sucked. But this actually was popular because it was good. And uh, you can find that also at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, and, and I'll get to the reasons why it's obvious that Trump is lying about that in a mo- minute. But here's, here's what happened with regard to Trump and the recusal of Sessions from the Russian investigation. He gave an interview to the New York Times. And I urge you, urge you to read the transcript of the interview Trump did with the New York Times. By the way, the failing New York Times, just today, he tweeted about the failing New York Times being so outrageous. Then why did you give three of their reporters an exclusive, extensive interview? Well, because he's addicted to media attention and he wa- and he wants acceptance in the club. And in New York City, the New York Times still runs the club. That's one of the things that's driving Trump and what he wants acceptance within the club. And I think he's realizing he's never really going to get it, but he's going to keep trying. But read this transcript because I defy you. I defy you to read the transcript and find for me two or three. You might be able to find two, but you will not be able to find three. Find three consecutive sentences that make sense at all. I don't think you'll be able to find two, but I know you will not be able to find three. And this is a long interview. I think it's like 7,000 word transcript. You cannot find Three consecutive sentences from the President of the United States that make any sense. I'm not talking about things I disagree with. I'm not talking about lies. Okay? I'm talking about simply being able to form a coherent thought that makes sense in any semblance of a logical progression. You cannot do it. I think he is ill. Because even I don't think he's that dumb. 
I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't have an expertise in, in what would be causing this, whether it's the pressure of the job, the pressure of the Russian investigation, whatever it is. He's ill. Now, let's be clear. Being a mega celebrity, which obviously Trump has been for a long time, is in itself an illness. This is one of the many reasons why I've always felt that Trump was uniquely unqualified to be president of the United States. Because he's not just a narcissist, he's not just a sociopath, not just an egomaniac, but when you're a massive celebrity, you lose all touch with reality in this country. Trump hasn't had touch with reality uh, since what? The the 70s. (laughs) So, I mean, this is not the person you want running the free world, even if they were qualified. And he's not qualified. He doesn't have the knowledge. He doesn't have the intellect. He doesn't have the character. These are all the things I've warned you about for over a year. And it's obvious. But in this interview where he's completely incoherent, he actually says something that to me was as close to a guilty plea, an inadvertent guilty plea, as I've heard so far. He said that if Jeff Sessions had told him when he hired him to be attorney general that he was going to recuse himself from the Russia investigation, that he never would have hired him. Now, that's extraordinary (laughs) on a number of levels. The first level of of extraordinariness (laughs) is, what the hell are you doing saying that about your attorney general? By the way, your first major... political supporter, your first senator to endorse you. I mean, this this is a guy who supposedly values loyalty, but he never gives it back. He throws everybody under the bus. So Sessions puts his whole career on the line, his reputation on the line to back Trump. And this is what he gets, how he gets repaid. That's number one. Number two, what the hell are you doing undermining your sitting attorney general? He's your attorney general. And you're telling the world you wouldn't have hired him. And by the way, the reason why you wouldn't have hired him is had to do with you. Had only to do with you. In fact, he even said what he did in recusing himself from the Russian investigation was, quote, unfair to the president. Unfair to the president. Which in my mind is even more delusional than if he had said unfair to me. I mean, unfair to me would have been just narcissistic. Unfair to the president putting in the third person. Now you're talking batshit crazy stuff, all right? So he says to the New York Times, it was unfair to the president. But that's not the most significant part. That's troubling. That's stupid. It's self-defeating. It's undermining your own attorney general during a pretty critical period of time. But substantively, there's a real problem there. And this is the part that not that many people picked up, although a few, like Jake Tapper from CNN, uh, tweeted about this uh, in in an interesting thread. Here's the problem. Trump effectively decided to hire Sessions as attorney general last November. You could argue it's early December, whatever, in that time period. If Trump believed at the time, which when you listen to what he said, it's clear. It's clear he feels as if Sessions recusing himself from Russia would have been a legitimate conversation to have when he hired him. Well, that's 
a bombshell because we didn't know any of the things that caused Sessions' recusal until recently. I mean, and interestingly, you know, James Comey, the guy who's supposedly was lying, and then we changed that to Trump. Trump changed that to I forced him to tell the truth in his testimony. In that testimony, Comey very strongly implied that there was other information that required Sessions' recusal from the Russian investigation that was not publicly known. And he was kind of mocked for that. In fact, Sessions in his testimony, then said that was not true. Well, it turns out Comey was telling the truth. Again, unless you believe in this massive, bizarre, nonsensical conspiracy involving the Russians and the Washington Post and a whole bunch of other people. So that's important. Comey's telling the truth. What we knew publicly about Sessions, and there's a whole series of reasons why Sessions would have to recuse himself in an ethical administration, and I... I think Sessions made the right call. But if Trump knew, if Trump knew that those reasons existed, therefore making this subject legitimate, back in November of last year, that changes everything. Because that indicates a level of knowledge of what was going on by the President of the United States that is inconsistent with this story just being a bunch of smoke and weird coincidences. Because the proper answer, under the scenario of innocence, the proper answer that Trump would have given about Sessions' recusal is this. Had I known when I hired him that there was any chance that he would have to recuse himself from the Russian investigation for very legitimate reasons, I never would have hired him. That makes sense. But that is not what Trump said. That is not at all what Trump said. Go read it. Go listen to it. It is clear Trump is accepting that that would have been a legitimate conversation to have back in November or December. Now, I acknowledge that it's always dangerous to hold Trump to the letter of what he's saying. Because he's not a good speaker. I mean, he makes Sarah Palin seem like William Shakespeare. So, I mean, when you look at his syntax and his ability to inability to form sentences. So I will acknowledge that this is not smoking gun level because you it, 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 it requires you to accept that Trump really means what he's saying and how he's saying it because it's not just the the transcript it's the audio when you listen to it the casualness with which he is saying it is very consistent with my theory that this is indeed a bombshell so i'm not suggesting this is 100% proof but it is really strong evidence especially in the context of everything else we know that trump was very much aware of everything that had transpired which is why He was so concerned when he originally took office as to whether or not Comey would be personally loyal to him. So you got to put all these pieces together, folks. And I know a lot of people, and I guess it's because people are busy and they just don't want to hear about this. They're tired of the story. It's uncomfortable. I'll acknowledge no one wants to believe that the guy they voted for for president from their party 
is a Russian stooge. That this is effectively in a the bizarro world version of the Manchurian candidate. And again, I'm not saying we're there yet, but there's a lot of stuff that's very consistent with it. But in order to understand this story, you need all the pieces. And of course, you're never going to get all those pieces from Fox News Channel, The Drudge Report, Breitbart.com, Sean Hannity, or Rush Limbaugh, because they're not going to give you any of the pieces. That's why you're not going to put them all together. Very, very few conservatives are putting all these pieces together. And one of the things you conclude when you put all the pieces together is Trump had to know about that original Don Jr., Paul Manafort, and um, Kushner, his uh, brother, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner's meeting with the Russian officials. He had to know. Again, I wrote a column about it. Went into great detail. Check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. But the essence of it is this. This is not a normal presidential candidate. We know that, right? He's a control freak. Everything goes through him. In June of last year, they had very few resources. They were a heavy underdog. They weren't even officially the, the Republican nominee. They, they were not. These are not people that stand on rules or precedent or, or formalities. There's nothing. There is nothing that indicates that this is the kind of information that would have been kept from Donald Trump. Plus, we have lots of evidence from his speeches and his tweets at key times that he seems to be in the loop on this, almost to a comical level. So using Oxum's razor, it is obvious that what really happened here is as soon as Don Jr. got that email, he said, Dad, holy shit, can you believe this? The Russians want to help us beat Hillary. They've got dirt. We're going to meet with them. Trump would have loved this at every level because at this point he's already expressed huge admiration for Vladimir Putin. So the idea that Vladdy loves him, oh, my God, this is so cool. He's now in the cool people's club. Putin likes him. Putin wants him to win. Putin is someone he respects because Putin is way richer than he is, way more powerful than he even is today as president. And that's what Putin respects. I mean, that's what Trump respects. Not to mention he's wanting to get into Russia for years to do business, which again, I think was a primary part of the original incentive here. This was a dual track. Hey, maybe they can help us win, but if we don't win when we get out of this campaign, Maybe we can finally do some business in Russia because we'll have made the relationships, worked together, quid pro quo, what have you. So anyway, the reality of this is that here, here, here's where we are in this story, okay? <laughs> this is how divided America is. A third of the country is now basically convinced that Trump is a Putin pawn and that this is the worst scandal that's ever happened in America. A third of the country thinks this is fake news and a witch hunt and knows almost none of the details. A third of the country doesn't even know where Russia is. That's, that's basically where we are. That's how effed up we are as a country. Now, people ask me, where am I on this? I am closer to group number one than I am to group number two and getting closer to group number one every single day. It's not because I hate Trump. I have also predicted numerous times he's going to survive this. 
And right now, here's the scenario, which I think is a, a horrific scenario for America and especially the Republican Party and what's left of conservatism. I think he's going to fire Bob Mueller. I think he's going to issue pardons. I think that there's going to be a whole hell of a lot of outrage, but nobody on the Republican side or hardly anybody on the Republican side is really going to stand up and say enough is enough. This is outrageous. This is a line that cannot be crossed. There'll be a firestorm for a week or so. It eventually will die down. Trump's approval ratings will dip. They won't dip any lower than 33%. They'll probably dip to 36%. I mean, that's how hardened views about Trump are. It's almost impossible for his approval ratings to shift very much anymore. I think he knows that. I think he's banking on that. The cult is not going to leave him over this. Only some soft support might leave him. And then I think we're going to enter a stage where nothing can get done. I mean, we're already where nothing gets done. But after that happens, we're in this constitutional crisis. Trump is even more toxic than he was previously. The Republican Congress is already dysfunctional. So then you're going to head into a midterm with no accomplishments, a scandal-ridden president who pardoned maybe even himself and fired not just the FBI director, but the special counsel. And you got nothing to run on except we hate CNN. And what about Hillary? And maybe, have you seen Nancy Pelosi lately? I mean, that's basic, That's going to be the Republican mantra for 2018. I don't think gerrymandering will be able to save Republicans under that scenario. I think Democrats would then take the House. And then you got impeachment on the table. And I think he gets impeached. But I think he survives even that. It's going to be almost impossible to kill Trump, figuratively, politically. Because as long as the cult stays with him, as long as Fox News Channel stays with him, Hannity, Rush, Drudge, Breitbart, as long as they all stay with him, and only Drudge is showing any signs of hesitancy now. I think Drudge is trying to figure out, okay, do I want to be the fireman or do I want to be the arsonist? Because Drudge loves chaos. So am I going to put this fire out for my buddy, Donald Trump, or am I going to turn on him and light the match and end this? Because he just loves watching things burn. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think Drudge knows for sure where he is on that. But as long as that all stays intact, the Republican Party, such a bunch of cowards, they're not going to do anything because they're terrified of what happens if they lose the, the base of support that Trump allegedly gives them. And Trump will survive. And I even think it's possible that Trump gets reelected as an impeached president, assuming he even wants to be reelected, which, let me put it this way. I think there's a better chance Trump decides not to run for reelection than there is that he gets beat in his reelection campaign. I'm not by a lot, but it's it's somewhere probably in the in the same vicinity. I think that there's that's at least as likely that he decides not to run. So it's probably using the thirds. Everything's always in thirds. I think there's a 33% chance that he decides not to run, 33% or thereabouts that he runs and wins, and 33% the Democrats actually find somebody who can walk and talk and not piss off more than 55% of the American people, and they end up winning. 
But none of this is any good for con- – this is the bottom line of, that, of, of everything, and that is where's the winning? Where's the damn winning? I was promised so much winning I would get tired of it. Obamacare is not going to be repealed. Nothing's going to get passed there. And, oh, by the way, it's, it's the worst of all scenarios. Not only is Obamacare not going to get repealed, now Republicans own it. Ha! Great job, guys. Way to go. <laughs> you not only didn't fulfill your promise, you not only kept us with this failing health care system that's borderline socialized medicine, but now you own it, whether you realize it or not. Boy, that couldn't have worked out any worse. And now we got, speaking of Sessions, we got Jeff Sessions passing rules in the, in, that that are appear to be clearly unconstitutional, that now the federal government can override state laws and confiscate property from people who haven't even been charged with a crime. This is conservatism. This is is freedom, folks. And in case you're wondering about, you know, my my ultimate theory that Trump was going to eventually turn into a Democrat, how about who he picked as his new White House communication director? Anthony Scaramucci. This guy has given more. He's basically Donald Trump, only younger and with good hair. That, and, and he can actually form a sentence. There's, there's, there's three things that make him different. He, he, he's given to as many or more Democratic candidates than Donald Trump has. He was a he loved Obama. He supported Hillary. He's anti Second Amendment. He's pro choice. He believes in global warming. He's against walls. I mean, he he gave one of the most anti Trump statements in the history of Fox News Channel on Fox Business Channel back in 2015. You couldn't you can't make this up. It's comical. That now he's the White House communications director. A guy who hated Trump is is a far left liberal Democrat. Although he's also said nice things about Jeb Bush. So you know what he probably is a lot like Trump. He's just a charlatan. He's just a fraud. He just says whatever's in his best interest at the moment. Only he's smoother about it than Donald Trump is, and he's better looking. And. This has caused so much chaos in the White House. Sean Spicer has resigned. Steve Bannon appears to be close to being either tossed out or leaving. Rince Priebus is pissed off about this. I mean, this is a White House in complete chaos. So the idea, what's left of Republicanism is basically nothing. (laughs) You've got Jared Kushner, who's a Democrat. Trump's daughter's a Democrat. Scaramucci appears to be a Democrat. Bannon's not a Republican. He's a nationalist. Rince Priebus is basically powerless. Who who are the Republicans? Who are the conservatives that even have Trump's ear at this point? So I don't see how anything's going to get any better. So we, we basically sold off everything. We sold off what was left of conservatism. We sold off this golden opportunity to save the country from socialism because the Democrats didn't have their shit together and had a horrendous candidate. We've sold all that off. And what are we going to get in return? Gorsuch, which is fine. 
at best, at best, he's a trade for Scalia. So it's not like we improved the Supreme Court at all. So we got Gorsuch and what else? I don't know what else. I, I don't know. We've sold it all for this liberal con man who's unqualified to do anything of any importance, nevertheless be president of the United States, and who, by the way, might also be a pawn of Vladimir Putin. Good job, everybody. Well done. Drive home safely. All right, a couple other uh, news stories uh, before the first hour is over with. Um, two weeks ago, I also made I made a series of good predictions a couple weeks ago, one of which dealt with that uh, History Channel special on Amelia Earhart. Remember this? Where uh, they claimed to have uh, photographic proof that Amelia Earhart actually had survived along with her navigator uh, the crash in 1937, which everyone had always presumed had killed her in the Pacific. And I went into a into great detail about why I did not buy this. And this seemed like bullcrap to me, largely because if this had happened, there would be a whole lot more evidence to support it at this point, and there's basically none. And also the photograph on which this documentary was basically based uh, didn't feel right to me. There seemed to be some problems with it. It didn't feel like anything dramatic was happening. It, it felt like the producers wanted to see or saw what they wanted to see, which is basically what everyone does now. We all just believe whatever the hell we want to believe because we can always find someone that will back us up on that. It's, I think it's one of the worst things that's happened to our public dialogue, uh, and I think it's it's destroyed the, the conservative media, but that's another story for another day. In fact, Glenn Beck and I talk a lot about that in hour number two of this week's uh, podcast. But I had great suspicions, and I predicted that it was going to be bullcrap, but being an open-minded guy, I decided to watch it uh, with an open mind. Well, <laughs> it was more bullcrap than I even expected, uh, not just from a production standpoint, but it turned out that the day after it aired, we learned something about that photograph. This is just amazing. We learned that that photograph had been published before. It had been published in a Japanese travel guide. It had been published in 1935. Two years before Earhart even crashed. Which is pretty much about as clear-cut evidence as you can get that, yeah, it's not Amelia Earhart. The whole thing is bullshit. Now, I wrote a column about why this is important. Check it out at freespeechbroadcasting.com because this is not an aberration. This is what happens in the news media where people come to their conclusion first and then they try to find evidence to back that up and then they see everything through that prism. I've seen this dozens of times. I saw it with Sarah Palin up close. I saw it in the Penn State case up close. It is a very, very corrosive phenomenon when it comes to trying to find the truth. And it clearly impacted this History Channel uh, endeavor, which got an enormous amount of news coverage and they put a lot of resources into. So I wrote this column. This is hilarious. So I wrote the column for Mediate and I got an email from someone at the History Channel wanting to talk to me. Now, I'll talk to almost anybody. My God, after the whack jobs I've talked to over the last five years on the Penn State case, I'll talk to almost anybody. 
So and this was like a VP of, I don't know what he was, some, something at Arts and Entertainment, muckety-muck executive. And we exchanged messages, and then he calls me back. And his basic uh, point to me was, you know, John, uh, you shouldn't be rushing to judgment on the <laughs> photograph being a, a fraud and History Channel being duped. I said, oh, really? He said, well, you know, it's possible that the, the, the Japanese blogger who in 30 minutes was able to find this photograph using the effectively the Japanese version of Google, it's possible that he has created a hoax. I don't think he used those words, but that was, that was the gist of what I was getting. I said, oh, really? So you're telling me that a Japanese blogger was able to recreate in 24 hours this fake publication from 1935 in an obscure Japanese travel guide that just happens to have this photograph. You really believe that? I said, you have any evidence of that? He says, no, no, but we're, you know, we're investigating, and I just think you should keep that an open mind that that's possible. I, I said, I said, direct quote, I said, you know what? I think you need to start working for the Trump administration in the press secretary's office. Because that's the time. And <laughs> shockingly, the phone call lasted maybe 15 seconds after that. And I'm not sure who hung up on whom. Because I was ready to hang up on him, and he was ready to hang up on me. But shockingly, telling the guy from A&E, the executive, that his unsubstantiated, nonsensical... It's just flat-out ridiculous. ...theory that the Japanese blogger who cracked this case in 30 minutes was creating a fraud or a hoax... Uh, qualified him to work in uh, public relations for Donald Trump. That did not go over well. One other uh, story I want to mention before uh, this hour is up. Uh, this is, I never get a chance to go to the movie theater anymore unless it's a kid's movie because I got a five-year-old girl. So, you know, I'll see all the big kids' movies <laughs> in the theater. But adult movies, I never get a chance to go see. But... Um, last night was an exception. My wife let me play hooky because um, Cyrus Narasta, the filmmaker who created The Path to 9-11 and The Stoning of Soraya M and The Young Messiah, who we've had on the podcast before. He's one of my best friends. He and his wife, Betsy, who is a fellow screenwriter with uh, Cyrus, uh, they suggested that we go see Dunkirk last night, which is opening nationwide this week. And I was really glad that I did one. We had a great time, but also the movie is outstanding. And I don't say that about a lot of movies. Uh, This is the story of how uh, the British soldiers during World War II, before America became part of the war, uh, was able to evacuate hundreds of thousands of soldiers from the last stronghold in France as the German army was basically overtaking the entire European continent. And that last stronghold was in Dunkirk. Uh, Thus the name of the movie. This movie is extraordinary from a production standpoint. It is thrilling. It's also not too long, which I thought was good. It's exceedingly well done. The only thing I will suggest uh, if you go uh, to see the movie, which I urge you to do, is do a little bit of research on what happened at Dunkirk because it was interesting, especially for a pretty short movie, 
that the filmmakers almost go out of their way to not get you up to speed and educated on what the situation was there. So I can see, especially younger people, being a little confused about what was happening. So, and it's not that complex of a story, but they really, I thought the riskiest thing they did in this movie was they really presumed that the audience knew a little bit about American, or not just American, it's obviously not American history technically, but knew a little bit about World War II history, which is dangerous. You know, overestimating and counting on the intelligence or the education of the American public is a very dangerous thing to do, as we've learned, especially in the era of Trump. So I'm not sure why they did that. So, so just make sure you're a little bit up to speed on what happened at Dunkirk, and then once you do that, prepare for maybe the best movie experience you've had uh, in a long time. And and it's also an important movie because especially if you've got a uh, a kid who's old enough to be able to accept some violence in a movie, make sure you take him to go see Dunkirk because the subtitle of, of the movie Dunkirk should be a time when men weren't pussies. That's what it's, they sh- that's what they should call the movie. Dunkirk, a time when men weren't pussies. And uh, because what really strikes you is not just the heroism, but the casual heroism, the belief in doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, the willingness to sacrifice, the courage that it took to pull this off is really extraordinary. And in my opinion, if somehow the exact same situation occurred today, I don't know about in Europe. I'm, I'm sensing the same thing has happened in Europe. But if, 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 if we were called upon as Americans to do what the Brits did in Dunkirk, I don't think there's a chance in the world we pull it off. I think we would all just collapse. I don't think anyone would, would uh, you know, meet the call to arms or the call to bring in the boats or... I think we would all just say, you know what? Ah, it's too bad. We're just going to leave them there. I think that's what would happen because courage is dead. Principle means nothing. No one believes in anything more important than themselves. So it's a really important movie, and go check it out for yourself. All right. Now, we got a special hour number three coming up. I've never fully told the story of me and O.J. Simpson and my role in how O.J. Simpson ended up going to prison his parole hearing went, uh, unfortunately, very well for him this week. That's why I'm going to use this week to tell that story. So make sure you stay tuned for that in hour number three. And in hour number two, you've got to listen to the Glenn Beck interview. Best interview with a major celebrity that uh, you're likely to ever hear, especially uh, on the subject of the conservative media and things related to it. Make sure you uh, do the two things I've ever, ever only ever asked of you. It's just two things. It's very simple. This is I do this for free. You don't have to pay for it. But I do ask you to share this on social media, Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, what have you, especially if you like. That helps. Obviously, if you hate, if you like the podcast, uh, but uh, you're listening, so you must like it at least a little bit. So share it any way you can. And then number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. 
These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.